When I became a Christian uh, about 35 years ago, uh, I knew Jesus was real. Uh, he was alive and he loved me and I needed him. But there was a lot of new stuff and uh, it took me quite a while to get my head around it. Uh, still trying. Uh, I went to church and I kept on hearing people talk about Jesus and God as if they were separate, pe separate beings. In fact, some people talked about Jesus and Christ as if they were two different people. Uh, they're not, uh, but, uh, and that's another story, but uh, it, it just confused me. When speaking about the stories of Jesus in the Bible, they referred to Jesus by name. But the other times, people seemed to use the names God and Jesus interchangeably. Someone could talk about their relationship with God and another would talk about their relationship with Jesus, uh, and I found it all a bit confusing. Uh, if you've been around church for a while, you've probably sorted it out, but it is confusing. Uh, I understand that there was a person called Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. Uh, he went around doing some amazing things and teaching some pretty amazing stuff, but how did it fit in with God? Uh, I accepted the advice of some people to not try and work out or describe the Trinity, the uh, idea that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God but three persons. And I learned some of the traps to avoid. Uh, these three persons are not three modes of being, like steam, water and ice. Uh, H2O can be steam, water and ice, but not at the same time. Jesus can pray to God, and uh, God his Father, and he can send out the Holy Spirit. So the three of them are God at the same time. Uh, people would talk about Jesus being God, but always as if there was more to God than just Jesus. Uh, you'll be delighted, delighted to know I'm not going to try and sort out all those problems today. But I think that the stories we have heard help us understand Jesus and God a bit better. Mark, in his Gospel, is making out his case for Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God, a king and in some way divine. But what type of king and in what ways divine? Messiah means anointed one. Jewish kings were anointed, so Messiah basically means a human being who is a king. A king with real power who knows and cares for his people. A, a saviour king. Uh, that's what was promised. A saviour king. A king who would save us from ourselves and save us from our enemies. Enemies like sin, death and Satan. A king who will always do good for us. And this is the Jesus that I fell in love with all those years ago. Two weeks ago we saw Jesus calling a tax collector to join him. The picture of Jesus eating with this despised tax collector and, and sinners is really very attractive. However, the passage closed with these challenging words of Jesus. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And to be honest, it took me some time to accept how deep my sin was. I was not blind to my shortcomings and things that I was not proud of, 
But it took me years to realise how different Jesus' ways were from the ways of the world around me and uh, how thorough I needed to be cleansed and healed and changed. And I'm still learning. I really am. The more I read, the more I realise I need to change. But I knew that Jesus could help me and I knew life would be better if I let him do that. So we meet our stories today with the knowledge that we are sinners and we need Jesus. That's the context. And if we remember that, I think we'll help understand uh, these passages. It looks like the people who questioned Jesus about fasting were also trying to work out who Jesus is. They weren't the Pharisees who were already plotting against Jesus. They were just some unidentified people uh, who noticed the difference between the eating practices of Jesus and his disciples compared with the eating practices of the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist. But they fasted. Jesus and his disciples didn't, which meant they did not eat food during daylight hours on fast days. Jesus answered their question with three short parables. And I must admit, I struggled with these parables for a number of years. Uh, They may be obvious to you, but they certainly weren't to me. I found them a bit cryptic. Uh, But now I see that the point is clear. Jesus could have replied to the question about fasting by saying that the law of God delivered through Moses did not require him to fast. The Torah required fasting on the Day of Atonement, one day of the year, but it was the Pharisees who made up the other rules about fasting. They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays, a sort of first century version of the 5-2 diet, but designed to show devotion and perhaps to control others not to lose weight. People like the Pharisees like to control others. And rules of fasting were a a good way to do that. You could really tell who was on the inside and who was on the outside, who fasted, who didn't. And uh, the church has been making up rules like that for the last 2,000 years, uh, usually not to the glory of God. Anyway, Jesus takes a different angle. Doesn't go the legal argument. He likens his disciples to guests at a wedding. They have Jesus the bridegroom with them, so now is the time to party. I'm still looking for a a song. Our God is a partying God. I have asked Paul for it. I'll have a word to Cole to see if they can come up with it. But our God is a partying God. Anyway, the message is clear. Know who is with you and respond accordingly. Jesus' message to the Pharisees and to the people who would judge him was, watch out, you do not know who you are plotting against and what I have to offer and what I will ultimately do. If you did, you would party. So so who is Jesus? That's our question. We don't need to read back the later uh, teaching of Jesus as the bridegroom and the church being his bride. I, I don't think that's what this passage is about. Rather, it is that being with Jesus is like being at a wedding. And you don't fast at weddings. Jesus is special, and when he's with you, you party 
like it is a wedding. Uh, We can get used to weddings. Uh, When uh, we hit our mid to late 20s, some of our friends start getting married and at some time in the following 10 years, you may hit a hot spot where every second week there seems to be a wedding. And it all becomes a bit of a blur. And you may even think, oh no, not another wedding. Another set of speeches. Another place, you know, where they, everything is contrived and everyone copies everything. But that wasn't the case in Jesus' time. Weddings then could go on for several days and, and some people, for some people it was the only time that they got to rest from their work and eat animal protein. Uh, otherwise it was grain, fruit and veggies, uh, which I know appeals to some of you, uh, but they didn't have tofu back there unless you were in China. Uh, anyway, back then weddings were the best thing that happened in a family or a village. So let's celebrate, let's party, let's have a special occasion because there's someone special with us. But, but why is Jesus so special? Why is being with him then and there like being at a wedding? Well, Jesus had already done some remarkable things. So far in this gospel, we've seen Jesus heal a number of people miraculously. Uh, There's no other word for it. No potions or medicine, just touch and word and immediate healing. Jesus had shown his mastery over dark forces by driving out demons. He had spoken with an authority that amazed people who were used to hearing people talking about scripture. And soon we'll see him calm storms and feed thousands with a few loaves and fishes. And of course, we'll see him die and rise from death to new eternal life, which is a great reason to party. And that's why we get together each Sunday, actually, to celebrate Jesus. And with someone as special as Jesus, you just have to party. To ram home the message about how people should respond to Jesus, Jesus tells two similar compounding parables which pick up on the idea of healing that was uh, planted immediately before these parables. If you sow a patch of unshrunk material on an old garment, the new material will shrink and the garment, when, will, when you wash it, will just be destroyed. It won't fix or heal the hole, it will just pull it apart. Just like pouring new wine into wineskins, into, sorry, old wineskins, new wine tends to still have a bit of yeast in it, uh, giving it a bit of fizz, uh, which we call spritzig. But that light fizz will make a hard, dry, old wineskin explode or, or perhaps just leak. But either way, you will lose your wine. Both the patch of new material and the young wine are symbols of Jesus' teaching. Jesus' new teaching will tear old ways apart and not work on old, hard-hearted, inflexible people like the Pharisees and lawyers whose hearts were like old wineskins. It will blow them apart. Uh, The message is clear. Know what time you live in when Jesus is with you. Party. Be soft and supple and responsive. 
listen, learn. And then Jesus' new teaching and all that he has to offer will work and, and good will flow from that. So basically these three parables make the same point. Know who is with you and respond to his special powers and his new teaching appropriately. And that's a good message for us today. In the second scene, we see Jesus challenged directly by the Pharisees, uh, this time for plucking corn. Uh, It's arguable whether plucking corn on the Sabbath uh, actually breaks the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, rest, not work. If you're at home, uh, you may go into the kitchen to get some prepared food because you weren't supposed to cook, that's work. However, if you're out and about, eating what is available sounds necessary rather than offensive to God's laws and purposes. But again, Jesus does not take the legal argument. He still tells a story that shows him claiming to be equal to or greater than Israel's greatest king, King David. Have you never read that David, what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. David was a king, but not a priest. His companions weren't priests. No doubt the Pharisees thought, well, who does this carpenter, this, this hick from Nazareth, think he is comparing himself to David? It may have been okay for David to eat the consecrated bread, but Jesus to them was not a king or a priest. But to us, he is both. Jesus sees their doubts and ups the ante. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was not made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus is a prophet, priest and king. And we'll come back to that at the transformation when we get to chapter 9 of Mark's Gospel. But here Jesus is claiming to be above the law of God given through Moses. Well, well, so what? I mean, lots of people do that today. I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. But in those times, it actually meant something far more than that. Jesus' claim that he was Lord of the Sabbath would have been blasphemy if it was not true. God instituted the Sabbath uh, in the Ten Commandments to replicate him, that's God himself, resting on the seventh day of creation. A good Jew would know only God could be Lord of the Sabbath. Throughout the Gospel, Mark is inviting us to consider if Jesus' claim is true. Uh, It's helpful that Jesus makes this claim, but but helpful isn't enough. We need to see him exercise divine power to trust that he is Lord or, or master of creation. Because if he is, he must be divine. He must be God and therefore Lord of the Sabbath and, as we shall see, Lord of all. Jesus had already claimed divine power to forgive sins when he healed the paralysed man. He had used divine powers to heal and to drive out demons. 
Now he claims, like God, to be above the law. And some people say, well, Jesus never says that he's God. And not in as many words, he doesn't. But when you read stories like this, and you see the way that Jesus talks about himself, there's absolutely no doubt as to what he's doing. He's saying, I have the authority of God. God is within me. I do everything because God is within me. To be greater than David, he must be a very special Messiah, a a special saviour of the world, actually the one that God had promised through the prophet Nathan uh, in 2 Samuel 7, and that was that he would be a king in the line of David who would rule forever. And again, you can't do that on your own. You need God to be in you so that you can live forever. And you need God to be with you to be that saviour. So I think this passage helps us talk about Jesus and God. Yes, Jesus is human like a king, but he also has the divine powers of God. In some ways... He is both human and divine, different from an entirely spiritual person like the Father and the Holy Spirit, but sharing their divine power and their divine spirit and their divine authority. There's more to it than that, but I really think that that helps us understand when we talk about Jesus and God. But notice also that how Mark progresses the story. Not only is the conflict with the Pharisees growing, but we have Jesus saying that one day he, the bridegroom, will be taken away. It will be several chapters before we hear Jesus predicting his death, but there is an ominous note here already. One day his disciples will have cause to fast, which is why some people fast through Lent as we prepare to party at Easter. I'm about to finish, but I sometimes feel I skate over important details and nuances. Uh, It's partly because I don't want to keep you here forever, and I'm not such a gifted speaker that I can do that. But there are libraries filled with books about the relationship between Jesus and God. But the people who heard these parables did not have access to those books. In these simple stories, we have what God thinks is sufficient for us to know him, to trust him, and to love him. We have God saying, here is my son. Love him, listen to him, trust him, respond to him. In Jesus, we see God. We see God's plans to save us and his creation. And I think we're given permission to be flexible about how we talk about Jesus and God. You can say you have a relationship with Jesus. You can say you have a relationship with God. It's not offensive to God at all. And the important things are that we respond with joy and trust to Jesus and his teaching. He has the powers and privileges only God could have. And it's appropriate for us to praise him and enjoy him and to party 
Uh, and with that in mind, I'm going to invite our band to get up and lead us in this next song. Um, it's got such a happy tune. If you want to dance, you're very welcome to. Uh, the kids are going to come in and join us. Uh, but please also focus upon the words, because they are great words. They give us cause to want a party. <laughs> <laughs> 